Welcome to ICA Podcast 9. The goal of ICA Podcast 9 is to provide insightful information about the industry to members and non-members of Intercoiffure America Canada, the voice for salon owners. Each week we'll bring business, educational and inspirational topics to aid anyone with ties to the beauty industry. We will have a revolving series of hosts pulling from industry leaders as hosts and guests to keep things lively and interesting and make you wonder what's coming next. Now, here's this week's edition of ICA Podcast 9. Welcome to today's episode of uh, ICA Podcast 9. I'm Roger Azaganian, founder of Ozcraft Luxury Hair Care and ICA Manufacturer Partner. I've been a member for uh, almost five years now. And uh, I love I love doing these and I love being a part of uh, ICA and I love the, the community and what we can all do for each other and how we can always help each other out. And, and uh, one thing I always like to say is I, I like to uh, overpromise and then exceed expectations. And I think uh, that's a nice bar to set because uh, the standards are really a reflection of who we are and our, our success. And I think Trevor, today, Trevor Sorby's with us and Trevor is uh, set that uh, for our industry and is one of the founding fathers of our industry, I, I, I think, uh, and uh, one of the influences in my life and, and one of the reasons I got in this industry. And I, I remember for the, the first time I saw uh, one of your pictures, Trevor, was uh, I was, uh, uh, I studied under a guy named Scott Cole, and I saw my first issue of Passion Magazine. And I saw an image in there uh, that you had done for Passion Magazine, and it just blew me away, and uh, and, and it ignited something inside of me, uh, the creativity. So thank you for doing this today, and thank you for being a part of this. Uh, really appreciate it. Thank you. It's a real pleasure to uh, be talking to you and to all your listeners. Thank you. Um, we'll get started. I got, I got a list of questions I sent to Trevor, and, and to try to kind of introduce him because there's a lot of kids today and, and I think you and I talked about this is uh, what really got my uh, uh, passion for wanting to get the folks like you out in front of people uh, was the, I went to a kid school at a Veda Institute where I live and also a, a, a Paul Mitchell Institute and I was uh, I was uh, really uh, uh, set back to find out these kids had no idea who some of these names were in their industry, who these forefathers were, who these people whose shoulders that we stand on, who built the foundation of, of what we call, you know, hairdressing today. And, you know, even, even the product lines that were put out there that uh, before Vidal, I, I don't know that it was a product line before Vidal's was, I, uh, to the degree that it was for hairdressers that performed the way it did. And then Paul and Horst and yourself and, um, have done such amazing things, but that's how this whole thing got started. So, to introduce you to this community, well, we put together a list of these questions to try to uh, tell your story the best uh, best we could for them. But let's just start off at the top. You received a, a really prestigious award, and it's called the MBE uh, from the Queen of England. What is it, and how does one get it? Um. Well, uh, MBE stands for a member of the British Empire. Um, you get it for services to your industry that are outstanding um, contributions. Um, you can't, you don't go in for it. You, people nominate you. And to this day, I still have no idea who nominated me 
but um, it's a very prestigious award. Um, it's given to highly successful people that have done things in film, arts, sports, etc. And even down to people like um, people, I don't know if you have them there, we call them lollipop ladies, uh, people that stand with a stick in their hand to stop the traffic to uh, guide the kids across the, a busy road. Um, someone that may have done that for 30 odd years, they, they might get an MBE. You never know, but it was a wonderful surprise. I, I had no idea I was getting it. And uh, to receive it from the Queen was, uh, well, what can I say? It doesn't get any better than that. Well, it was, I mean, it's phenomenal that somebody nominated you. So that you, it's not something that you, you can go out and do some, uh, you know, a hair, it's not a contest. So that's, yeah. that's an amazing thing. Well, but then you turned around and then she asked you to be her hairdresser and you turned her down. <laughs> Why? <laughs> yeah. Well, um, you know, I, I, I can, I remember it word for word, what she said to me, you only, you only get a few seconds with her because there's a, a, um, a load of people behind you receiving their awards. But she said, um, oh, I understand you do some rather strange hairstyles. And I went, well, your majesty, I, I tried to um, design and create new ideas with hair. She says, oh yes. She says, I've seen you on television. You're very good at what you do. I says, oh, Thank you very much, madam. And she said, we must have a chat soon. And with that, she shakes your hand and just gives you a little nudge backwards with your, with your hand. In other words, that's your 10 seconds, now get out of here. <laughs> and uh, anyway, uh, two weeks later, I got a call from Buckingham Palace and uh, I had a, what is called an audience with the queen. I was in her private quarters and I was wow. in there for I was in there for about 45 minutes and uh, just talking uh, mainly obviously about her hair and everything and uh, and you know she has uh, like nine corgis dogs and wow. well, no I did not know <laughs> yeah she, she's surrounded by her, her, her lovely dogs and at one point I felt something at the back of my leg and I Oh, I didn't know what it was. And I sort of turned around, sort of out of peripheral vision, and I saw this dog, and I thought, I thought he was going to pee up my leg or something. But <laughs> <laughs> I just patted him on the head and off he went. But uh, yeah, but um, I could, I, I did refuse to do it, um, mainly because, you know, I was running six businesses. Uh, my time was absolutely, you know, every day full, whether it be clients or business or meetings. And to be fair to her, I couldn't be on her beck and call whenever she wanted. Now, she would have her hair done every Monday at three o'clock. Um, but she was in those days, that was in 2014, she was traveling still around the world. And I would have had to drop everything to go to Australia with her for maybe a week at a time or even America or wherever she was going to go I would have to follow and I had well I had to weigh, weigh it up and decide that my business was actually a bit more important which sounds a bit strange for some people no no it's that's understandable I mean it's because 
because you know you you hear this because you hear oh Travis Survey turned down the Queen and then everybody would say oh well, he's got to be crazy why would somebody do something like that opportunity but it makes sense because if you have your business and you have your priorities and you're you're creating a life for yourself and and passing it on to whoever it is you're passing it on to that that's your priority I would imagine if it was it was somebody that was a uh, in their career at the beginning of their career probably would have been a great opportunity for that but somebody who's got an established career and in, in, in the stage of life and you're running six businesses that's, that's a whole different uh, circumstance but that makes sense yeah it does but you know um having said that i mean if uh, donald trump had asked me to do his hair i would have said no anyway for different reasons <laughs> <laughs> uh, he would have need he definitely would need somebody like you <laughs> um and in, in India, uh, we're, we're just uh, so the kids understand a, a little bit. We're not the kids or, or people that just don't uh, know you. I think uh, that should know you. you you're, you're Scottish. And so and you found your way into London. Uh, and I remember Scott was from uh, Scotland as well. That's um, right. And uh, but you don't it, you don't seem to have a Scottish accent. So how, how does how is that? And how did you find your way to London? What, the, the, what how did that journey? Well, why did you stay in Scotland or why didn't you go to? Uh, let's say Paris or, or Rome or somewhere else? Well, um, I was only 11 when I came to England. Okay. Uh, and what I didn't know was uh, until quite a few years later that my mum and dad had um, made a, a, a kind of, um, a, what's the word? They, they had decided that they would live 10 years in Scotland um, and my mum hated Scotland. She didn't like it at all um, because she was English and my dad was Scottish. And after 10 years, they would move to England. And that's what happened. So at the age of 11, I came to uh, England and uh, I, well, I've only been back a few times since. And, and, and while you were there, why I heard also when you were younger, and this is, this is important, reason why I wanted to talk about these next couple of questions, I think is important. Uh, for people to understand, especially in hairdressers, being that we're emotional beings and, and we tend to be more sensitive than, than most because we're artists. Um, uh, you know, people think that you, you, can, you can rise to the, they, they have this fantasy that people that rise to the top, um, usually, you know, it, it was easy for them. They got it quickly, you know, this happened and that happened, whatever they got, they were lucky. And uh, I, think it's, I think it's the opposite. I think that, you know, people that usually make it are the ones that that work the hardest, that go through a lot of trials and tribulations, and through, and and uh, really come to terms with who they are, and 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 instead of finding the answers on the outside, they usually tend to go inside through these through these trials and find those answers within, and that's what really it creates that self confidence, and I I believe, and I, and self confidence, and that's when you find yourself, your footing, your your and your self confidence. I think that's where real growth happens for these kids. But you uh, uh, were bullied when you were younger, from what what I heard, mm -hmm. and also uh, uh, through your career, you had a you had a nervous breakdown to the point that was uh, serious enough to where you're hospitalized and you suffered from depression at times. Tell us about that and how you came over that and how that shaped and formed who you are and who you become and why that led to your success. Yeah, well, firstly, I think when I grew up in Scotland, I was in, living in a very, very downtrodden area. It was really rough and the kids in that school were real 
dangerous. I'm sure half of them are in prison at this day. But um, I, I, sometimes in life, you, you don't know what you want, but you certainly know what you don't want. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to grow up and be like these thugs that I was uh, going to school with. And I'm, I'm not made like that. I'm, I'm a very sensitive and quite a, a soft person. I hate violence. I hate anything, even confrontations I hate. And um, I decided that my, I wasn't going to be one of those people. Now, when you say a route to the top, it's, it's funny, you know, because people read your PR, they read the good bits, but they don't hear about the bad and the downsides that I've been through. Um, and depression was definitely um, part of it for me. Um, I, I, because I'm so sensitive and I, I have very little um, belief in myself, and yet I've got a lot of belief in myself. And sometimes the little belief outweighs the big belief of myself. And I, if when things start going wrong, I mean, for example, I got slated by a newspaper once. Um, I got set up. I, I, what's the word when you're uh, set up with the, I forget uh, the actual word, but I was set up with this lady and she sold her story. And I found out afterwards that, you know, she wasn't a very nice person in the first place. And that got a double page spread in a Sunday newspaper. And I, I well, I'm gonna be honest with you. I, it, it freaked me out so much. I was living on my own at the time. And um, I went to the medicine cabinet and uh, I didn't have enough sleeping tablets to do the job. I then turned to um, alcohol that day and just drank myself completely stupid, hoping that this was a bad dream. And later in the day, cars pulled up outside. My wife, uh, uh, who was separated at the time, my daughter, my PR, my manager all came rushing in and they took me off to hospital and they put me in a room and uh, I sort of was coming around a bit, trying to make sense of what had happened to me. And I thought, what, what am I doing here? I'm, I'm going home. So I went to the elevator to leave the hospital and there was three men standing in front of the elevator door. And they said, uh, where are you going? I said, I'm going home. They said, no, you're not. I said, I am. I said, this, this is not a prison. He says, for you, it is. You're sectioned. Um, wow. Yeah. And they put me in hospital for a month. And that was probably one of the worst months of my life. Um, and they obviously got me around and they put pills in me to calm me down and all that stuff. And a month later, I walked out of there and I thought, well, I came out of that, but my God, what a nightmare it was. It, it, I nearly, I wanted to kill myself, basically. Yeah, no, I mean, no, I, that, I, 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 I've, I've been there. I mean, I've, 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 I understand what you're saying. Yeah, it's not yeah. a good place to be. Well, that's it. And uh, that's one of the downsides that nobody and very few people know about me. And I'm being honest with you because I feel 
I'm over that now. And uh, that certainly won't happen to me again. But um, that's one, you know, not many people survive from uh, down times like that. But that was part of the growth upwards at, at that time, because I was doing a lot of television in those days. And I was very recognizable. I'd walk down the street and people would know who I was. Uh, going to a restaurant, people would sort of, oh, right. there's so-and-so. And, you know, and when, you, when people recognize you and you're, you're a public figure, they talk about you mainly in a good way, but it, sometimes in a bad way, because they, they believe what they read with these right. tacky, um, you know, newspapers that exist in our country. Well, and, um, and unfortunately, they also, they also not only believe what they read, uh, they interpret through their own filters, right? Through their filters of, of their own insecurities and their own fears and, and their own perception of, of life. And then they, and that interpretation is different than what they may have read and absolutely different than what, what the truth might be. Uh, and and I, I remember one of, one of the things my dad told me before he died, because uh, I was asking about lessons on life, he said, and he said the biggest one for him was, he goes, never judge anybody. He goes, There's, because you don't know what they've been through and what they've, uh, what they've done. And actually, I heard a great story one time uh, about a guy that was on a subway had three kids and the three kids were going crazy, jumping all over the place and driving. This other guy was sitting next to him crazy. And then the other guy was sitting next to him out of frustration. He yelled at the guy, said, can't you keep your kids under control? And the guy said, I'm sorry, I don't know what to do. Their mother just died in the hospital and they're just trying to deal with it in their own way. You know, because we just we just never know uh, what anybody's going through or has gone through. And that's why I think what we do is so important as hairdressers, because if somebody sits in our chair, I mean, we we have the we have the power to change their lives immediately, how they feel about themselves with a haircut. And and that power, I think we take that for granted. And I I think so many kids take that for granted today. And, And and, and it's such an amazing power to make somebody else feel good. I mean, that's the other reason I fell in love with this business yeah. and what we do. I, I remember doing a client once, and uh, she was a regular client. I used to enjoy her coming in. It's always very cheerful. And one day she came in, and I said, oh, you look a bit down. She said, yeah, my husband hung himself in prison last night. And I wow. thought, oh, my yeah. God, I hadn't said that. <laughs> yeah. But anyway. Yeah. So I mean, things like that happen and and people come to our chairs and we we can we have the ability to make them feel better. We have the ability to to turn that page for them to a better page. And and and, you know, because of hair, I mean, I've had a bad haircut before. I've got long hair. I've had a bad haircut before. I made me feel horrible. And I've had a great haircut before. It made me feel amazing. And I think, you know, we do that for people. And it's, it's, it's unbelievable power. But so which gets me to the question of out of everything that you could have uh, um, gone back uh, uh, and had to do it over again, what would what would what, what would be the one thing you would change, or would there be anything that you would change? And then and and then and why did you get into hair? Out of everything you could have done, because you could have you could have been a carpenter, you could have been a lawyer, you could have been an actor, could have been a musician, because you look like Phil Collins kind of in a little bit. So I mean, you could have could have done a lot of things, but you chose hair. Um. Well, firstly, when I was young, I wanted to be an artist. And every Saturday, I used to go to the Paisley Museum. That's the town I lived in. 
and that the, they were giving art classes and that, that's what I wanted to be was an artist but because I got bullied at school I decided not to stay on and take any exams and um, my dad at the time was a, a barber for men and he had a little shop in a small town in uh, the sort of south of England and um, he said why don't you come into the barber shop and see how you get on I said yeah all right I'll, tr I'll try it and Within three months, I was cutting people's hair. I never found hairdressing difficult. If I, you see, I think one of the best ways to learn anything is to watch somebody that's good at what they do. And when you watch somebody that's good, you see a flow. They're not, they don't even look as though they're trying. It's automatic. It's and their hands and. They're just working in such an easy, flowing way. And my dad was a really good uh, hairdresser. And um, I picked it up very quickly. Um, but having said that, I was with him for five years. And then I actually quit hairdressing. I got bored with it because the type in those days, you know, we're talking sort of in the 60s, um, the men that we were having in the barbershop, they used to work at Ford Motor Company. And these guys, they, there was no such thing as the hair fashion in those days for these workers. They just wanted it off, short, you know, I don't care what it's like. And half of them were drunk when they came in anyway. Um, <laughs> and I just got bored with it. <laughs> and I decided to get a job um, selling razor blades for Gillette. Um, and I, I had all my hair cut off. I had long hair at the time. What do you mean, what do you mean razor blades? Like the kind you shave with? Or the kind you shave with? Yeah, or, or yeah. straight lip? Oh. No, no, the uh, razor blades that you put in yeah, the okay. razor. Um, yeah. And um, anyway, uh, I went for the interview and uh, I, he asked me what my qualifications was and I told them a bunch of lies. I was, you know, an A in maths, a B in English, a C in geography, blah, blah, blah. None of it was true. And he knew that just by looking at me. And I didn't get the job. I didn't really want the job. I wanted the car that came with the job. But because I didn't get the job, I didn't get either. So I went and said to my mum and dad, oh, I think I'll go back into hairdressing, but I don't want to do men's anymore. I want to do ladies' hairdressing more interesting and they sent me to a six-month college in the centre of London and um, after six months of training there the principal of this uh, the college said to me Trevor he says I see something a little bit special in you I said really he said yeah I, he said I think you should go to a really top salon I went oh come on he said no <coughs> seriously I said, well, what do you recommend? He said, Pete out so soon. So uh, he sent me there. And, uh, well, it goes on from there, really. Yeah, and, and, and which was, a, was the fate, you know, I believe in destiny and fate in that sense. Um, but you said something earlier, and I remember you said something about the, if you watch somebody and when they, when they work, you know, and they cut hair. I remember... There's two things I remember distinctly. One was, I remember the first time I was 19, I remember the first time uh, Scott, uh, watching Scott cut hair. And the way he cut hair was just, uh, just it, was, it was magical. You know, it was, it was, uh, I, can't, I can't even explain it, but it was just, it was beautiful. 
And then he brought me to a, and then you and I came to Atlanta. At that time I was in Atlanta. You came to Atlanta with uh, Vivian, who was your artistic director. And yes. he, he took me to the show. And, I, and I, I think, if I remember correctly, I think he got on stage with you guys. Did he not or not? Is that right? And he, he did some well, haircut where he twisted, you, he twisted you're the crown You're pushing memory up. here. <laughs> but anyway. But, you I, know, and you, I, and you, I, you're probably better I am. Yeah, I, I can't. I, I, I think that would that's what happened. But anyway, that was the first time I I met you and I met Vivian. But watching you guys work was just as magical uh, for me and impacted me in such a such a profound way. Just like watching him and it made me fall in love with his business. And most people, you know, that that aren't in this business don't realize the the potential that you that you have in this business and how high you can rise and what you can do there's no limits you know whether whether you're a stylist and wind up somebody like somebody which was your uh, your uh, pupil uh, uh, Angelo Seminari or mm -hmm. Eugene you know uh, yeah. you can rise up as a as a stylist like that and they're they're amazing I mean Eugene the, the work he does uh, for the for the fashion world is out of this world and and Angelo is and, I mean, the things he does are, are, are beyond, you know, sometimes you look at those things because, wow, how did he come up with that? And how did he actually do that? And those are things you taught them how to do. Or you can become a salon owner uh, like you and, and, and grow into multiple salons, or you can have your own brand like you did and uh, uh, hair care, which uh, I, uh, I, I don't know if you still do or not or, you, or, or did, but, but, I, but I know you can do so many things in this business. And that's what's so great about you is you've done all that. And, and on top of that, you've given back by, by giving your knowledge to people like that who then have gone up and how many people have they affected, you know, and, 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 and grown. And that's, that's the beauty of this business is, is you get to a certain place where you, where you learn that the magic of it is now is to give back, you know, is to, is, is to pay that forward. I, I think... You know, um, the general public, certainly in our country, had a very old-fashioned view about hairdressers. It was a job that only women do, um, and it's not a great job to have. It's not a great prof profession. Um, it, it wasn't and still isn't really looked up upon uh, in the way that I think we deserve. And in my early days, I mean, my dad, all he could do was put food on the table and, and uh, drive a car. Um, we didn't have holidays and stuff, couldn't afford it. But now you can be a multimillionaire in hairdressing. And, uh, and there's quite a few people in our country that have become very, very wealthy hairdressers. And it's a, it, they, they because we did a lot of television in the sort of 80s, 90s, um, the, the profession has risen up quite a lot, thank God. Um, but uh, it's not the, the old-fashioned mentality that it, it used to be. Uh, it, it's really found its place uh, alongside the fashion world. And uh, we play an instrumental part in, in, in the fashion world, you know? I mean, every model's got to have a head and if she's catwalking or being photographed or whatever. And, uh, you know, we're rubbing shoulders with celebrities, top models, um, and, you know, going to the places that they go to. And, um, you know, you're somebody nowadays if you're a top hairdresser. I got in a taxi the other day and he says, I know that voice. 
I said, what do you mean? I said, we've never met. He says, I know we've never met. He says, your name's Trevor Sorby, isn't it? I said, yeah. I said, how do you know that? He said, I know your voice. I used to watch television in the mornings when you were on. He said, I'll never forget that voice. I said, well, you're damn right. You, you hit the bullseye there, mate. I, that's exactly who I am. So, you know, notoriety. It's funny. <laughs> I st still get... Uh, a funny tingle when people recognize me, but anyway. You know, and, and, you, and so, you said, the comment you said was absolutely correct. I mean, lately, those, I, I think, especially in the past uh, year and a half, two years, the hair that I've seen Eugene do, uh, and it, again, it's all been inspired from you because he, he, he learned under you. You taught him everything he knew, he knows, uh, <laughs> has been amazing in the fashion world because the fashion world kind of needs that because at one point, uh, uh, you know, when Vidal, from what I know and, and have studied, Vidal really affected the fashion world in a, in, a, in a way no other hairdresser had, and it's happening again. And I think that's that's uh, that's an amazing thing. And, and and kudos to you and and bravo to Eugene, and, and because I think we 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 do have an amazing impact on the world around us, especially fashion. And I think more people, you know, need to get involved in that way. And uh, and hopefully more of your students are are active in that way too. And 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 hopefully they rise to that that level as well. Uh, but going back to when you went to Sassoon's, uh, how, I, I mean, that, that experience in itself uh, must have been unbelievably profound uh, because uh, uh, <laughs> you guys, you guys, and, and I always say this, I think, I think Vidal was like the Steve Jobs of his time. I think, you know, the, the, the shift that happened, uh, the paradigm shift in the world that happened with hair fashion and and, and the, the revolution that, that came of that, the of hair, uh, that created what we are today. I mean, what was it like being a part of that? Um, I would say from the 60s up to the 90s was the best time to be a hairdresser in this world because there were so many good people all striving so hard to be the most creative. In those days, there was punk there was all kinds of revolutions that were going on in fashion um there was the beatles there was uh people like david bailey one of the most fam um, famous photographers um fashion mary quant there was a new wave of youth that was coming through trying to just change things um and i was in luckily in that sort of noise that was happening uh, in London and um, I think that you know you said something about I, I taught um, Eugene everything he knows no I, no I didn't he was my apprentice for five years he learned a lot from me but all I really did was I showed him the light but he followed the light mm -hmm. and I gave him principles and and disciplines that he's stuck onto right to this day and his own creativity my creativity took him so far but his own creativity developed after that but he was always following that light that guiding light that I shone for him and uh, and as you know I've had many art directs Vivian McKinder Eugene Solomon Angelo Seminara Sally Brooks, um, 
Antoinette Binders, they've all been my art directors at some time. And all I've ever done is show them the light. And they have taken that light as gospel and they've developed their own light, but still that beam is in front of them. That's the way I, I see it. I, I, I think that that's because uh, you're, an, you're an incredible, uh, humble uh, and generous uh, individual. Um, and and uh, and let's talk about that more in the in the second segment. Uh, uh, right now we're at the end of the first segment. I want to thank everybody for listening and and tune in to the second segment, uh, and uh, so we can discuss further his journey from from Sassoon's forward. Uh, thank you, uh, Trevor. And Thank you for joining us for the ICA Podcast 9 podcast. Be sure to tune in next week for more industry insight and information. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast too and share it with your friends in the industry. Our only goal is to bring people together and share information with those that need it. Intercoiffure America Canada is proud to be the voice for salon owners. For more information about us, visit intercoiffure.com. That's intercoiffure.com.